is in the building to go. Peoples, what happened? What up with it? What you know good and what it do? We'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Pull It Back to Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most entertaining, the baddest podcast in the land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, why give me the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jewel St. James. I'm Dare Press. I'm no Vic. We give insight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On today's pod, we'll be pulling back the curtain on. 2009 murder of NFL legend Steve McNair. Now, this is part two of our special two-part Pulling Back the Curtain podcast true crime series. Fellas, what's poppin'? Jules, what's good? Novak, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Man, man, I'm winning, man. I'm just trying to to find some some fireworks. It seemed like I can't find them nowhere. Uh, They shot them all. That's because they (laughs) shot them all up. I'm sure if you go, I'm sure if you go talk to one of your neighbors, they probably got a shit ton in their garage somewhere. Oh well, yeah. They, well, they sell them off the expressway in some parts of the city. I ain't gonna say where I saw them, but I saw a guy selling them <laughs> for the low. Yeah, that's oh, right. Wow. Because you you ain't a snitch, so yeah. Nope, you can't do that. <laughs> 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 ain't nothing fun about going to court and having to say what you saw. Uh 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 uh. That glass can't protect you. <laughs> that is for sure. Well, man, so fellas, man, we got a uh, part two here, uh, part one uh, that you guys heard last week. We ran down all the various people that were involved in this uh, murder of uh, Steve McNair and Sahil Kazimi. And on this episode here today, we're going to just pull back the curtain. And first, we're going to touch on the uh, the crime scene, and we're just going to continue to pull back the layers of the investigation and just anything and everything that has to do with the case. So without further ado, let's get into it, fellas. Let's go. All right, man. You know, uh, the crime scene, you know, checking this 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 whole thing out, man, is just, it's just crazy, man, because... You know, both bodies was found in, in, you know, inside the living room. McNair was seated on the sofa. Uh, his body was leaning towards the left side, uh, as report says. Now, Kazemi's body was on the floor near McNair's feet, with a body in between the sofa and ottoman. Now, at first, uh, it was uh, it was written that Kazemi, when she committed the suicide, she was leaning uh, on McNair's lap at first and ended up sliding down on the floor next to his feet. Now McNair has suffered gunshot wounds to his right temple. It goes from his right temple first, uh, the two shots, two gunshot wounds to his chest. Now both those gunshots uh, to his chest exit through the through his back and end up, you know, penetrating through the wall. You know, so it's through the through the couch and into the wall is where they recovered those those spent uh, shells. And Kazemi ended up, you know, contacted gunshot wound to her right side of her head and the exit room to the left side of her head. So it was through and through. Wow. That's crazy. Now, also, those shots came closer. They, in the report, say closer than three feet. Now, McNair was believed they'd been, been asleep on the couch when the shooting occurred. 
you know, due to lack of defensive rooms or de- defensive posture. Now, um, the only thing is, he can be, he could have been asleep, or Kazemi probably, out, you guys remember Harlem Nights, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And you remember the scene with uh, Dominic LaRue was, 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 was sitting on uh, Eddie Murphy's uh, quick on, the, on his lap, strat on his mm-hmm. lap, right? Yes, sir. Now, it could have been a situation, something like that, because, I mean, for her to, to pull that gun out and, and, and McNair didn't have a ch- chance to react, now, he could have been asleep or he could have been just relaxed and she was just, you know, saying enticing him, getting him to, guard, to drop his guards. But there's no real clear sign on how, you know, how that went. So it went with, you know, due to non-defensive de- uh, uh, tactics and de- any defensive rooms, that's that's what the report was going on. Well, the one thing, uh, Jules, that I wanted to point to you, and you probably saw this when you did your research, is uh, they said McNair's blood alcohol level was uh, 0.15, and that's twice the the, the legal limit. So do you think that could have been a factor in in maybe his posture and why he was? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, know, he was out out early that night, you know what I'm saying? So coming in, you probably had a few in him. Maybe had a few when he came home, get real relaxed. She probably relaxed him even more. And boom, the rest, the rest is history, I guess. Man, he's probably on that dark stuff, man. Uh, that, you know, he might have been on he might have been on syrup at that point in time in that area. That is the South. Yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely Nashville. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about the situation and then you think about, you know, the fact that you know, the shots, you know, allegedly came from uh, Kazemi in this situation. And one of the things is, you know, you know what, you know, what Jules just definitely described makes a lot of sense because it's one of those things where, you know, if she's sitting there facing him in that Harlem night style, which you get, you, you made me think about that movie now, thinking about quick. <laughs> 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 thinking about me shooting that little gun, man, that had me cranking up. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, so what happened pretty much in that situation is, you know, the the weapon, you know, the weapon that, you know, the weapon of choice in that situation was a nine millimeter, allegedly. And the crazy thing about nine millimeter, if you think about it, you know, and I'm thinking about the size of this girl and everything, and I'm thinking like the fact that they recovered this weapon from the scene, it was under her body. And I'm trying to understand right now, like, you know, with a nine millimeter and her not being a very big girl, pretty much, and that and that gun pretty much is purchased, especially from my Adrian Gilliam, pretty much for a hundred bucks. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's hard to get that off. You know what I mean? You know, I'm a decent sized guy. You guys are decent sized guys as well. But to shoot somebody, then shoot yourself, and then lay on top of the gun. You know, it's the craziest thing I ever seen. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 a far stretch. You know what I mean? Unless you know, unless there was another angle in this situation. But, you know, that's, you know, definitely start, when you started getting into ballistics and everything, which we're going to touch upon in this episode as well, it's, uh, you know, if you try to create this scene, I don't care how you try to create a video, you try to recreate it through VR or something like that, which I was watching a few of those on the internet, it's just so hard to create. You know, it's almost damn right impossible. So, so many things have to go wrong at the same time, go right at the same time in order to create the way they were found in that room. And, you know, the fact that Veneer is a big guy, you know, he had to be totally drunk at that point. 
you know, when this happened. You know, because it was like bang, bang, bang. You're talking four shots. And it makes you wonder what the delay was between the, the shot that Kazemi, you know, unless you put inside of her own self. How quick did it go down pretty much? It's a nine millimeters. So you're thinking, one, it had to be hot after the first couple of hits. You know what I mean? You get to hits three and four of that gun. And the fact that she's, you know, this is somebody who probably never shot a gun before. The other thing I would probably do is check her hand and see if the slide came back and got her. Because unless she was, unless she had weapons training, now out of 10 times, first time gun owners, first time gun, gun shooters hurt themselves to slide, if you know what I mean. You know, it's nothing mm-hmm. like seeing somebody in a range somewhere and that slide comes back and takes that chunk of skin out. That just lets you know that, you know, you, you have a new experience right now and you need to learn how to hold this gun. I just can't, it's hard for me to imagine a, a lady this small shooting a gun that accurately and then shooting herself and then laying on top of it. You know, I'm, I'm starting to really question things a bit, if you know what I mean. That's a really good point, uh, Novak, because uh, think about all the times that we've gone to the range. Now, you guys are prolific shooters or whatnot, but I see a lot of times when that nine, when it slides back, it'll it'll tear you up. And for somebody like her that just randomly bought this gun off the street, I mean, are we really to believe that she could precisely shoot this guy, was it four times, uh, Jules? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, four times, right. But see, we don't we 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 brought up her past and she had a real bogus past. She she might have been she might have held some guns before in her life now. I mean you never know, right? You never know. You know uh, right, because they really cause over there in what she she came from what? Iran? Yeah. Yeah. You know, from uh early age, you know, them they hey, they probably they probably train their kids just uh, and a whole bunch of different stuff over there. Who knows? But yeah. I mean, yeah. that was good. I mean, that's 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 a good point, though. You know, for a girl like that, twenty years old to to shoot, you know, shooting a man. We'll get into that, you know, into that more in the, later on in, in the pod. But yeah, that does raise you definitely raise both eyebrows on that one. Yeah, he he definitely did. Um, the one thing, too, when you look at this situation is uh, the police, they believe that uh, Kazemi sat down on the sofa next to McNair after uh, allegedly shooting him four times and then shot herself once in the right temple. So the mm-hmm. one thing for, for our audience, all five shell casings that were basically found at the crime scene, they they matched the gun that Kazemi supposedly purchased the Thursday before the murder. So if you guys remember, uh, Novak briefly talked about Kazemi purchased this gun from Adrian Gillum. And he's one of the characters and one of the people that were involved in this thing that we talked about on uh, part one. And the one situation that I want our audience to realize when it comes to the ballistics and everything on this this, this gun, the residue that was uh, found on Kazemi was consistent uh, with uh, previous murder suicides and other findings. So basically, according to the medical examiner, when he looked at everything, he believed that McNair was killed at a distance uh, and the bullet wound that basically they found in Kazemi, they felt in in their expertise, in their uh, opinion, that everything kind of matched what they had seen in other murder-suicide cases. Um, On the autopsy report, actually, the way that the gun... To the directions of the, the gunshots to Steve McNair's body goes as this. So he was shot once in the right temple. 
it was a basically a leftward, backward, and downward basically trajectory of that uh, of that uh, gunshot wound. He was also shot in the left temple. This one was rightward, slightly upward, and slightly backwards. Then he also was shot on the right and left sides of the chest. So when you think about this, and like Novak brought up earlier, these were all precision shots. And I find it hard to believe personally that an individual of basically her inexperience of what we know about her so far, uh, of a first-time gun owner, basically, that she could just basically light somebody up in that type of manner. So to me, when I look at just the trajectory of the way the shots came off and how they were basically all lethal shots, I don't know, man. It just, it just something about this situation just really, it doesn't make sense. Also, Novak brought up a really good point in the sense that the gun miraculously ended up underneath Kazemi's body. So what the police believe is that Steve was shot four times by Sahil. She shot herself, and then basically they said that she slid off the couch onto the floor, and then the gun basically was underneath her. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking if somebody commits suicide, doesn't the gun basically just go flying somewhere across the room? How does the gun just miraculously just end up perfectly underneath her body? Not unless it just it just it just dropped. I don't, not unless it, when she shot herself, it just it just dropped from her hand and she ended up falling on it. That's the only thing I can see. But if it drops like that, it's going to discharge again, most likely. And did that happen? Did we have another? Uh, uh, no. But no, it didn't because it, it, only, didn't. it only covered five uh, casings. See? Yeah. And I also, mean, Novak, you brought up a good point, man. I wonder if they checked that hand because I'm guaranteeing you that that thing slid back on her. It had to slide back on her. You're talking about a girly girl. That basically had on pink shorts and a pink tank top and a pink bow in her head. And she walks up with a nine millimeter that's basically two times the size of her dainty hands at this point. And she shoots somebody with precision and then turns and shoots herself. The gun gingerly falls to the floor and she lays on top of it. That's the most incredible story I ever heard. I mean, in that situation, I mean, it's possible, but at the same time, it makes you wonder who else was in that room. Uh-huh. So it's, it's almost like the uh, JFK assassination. So Lee Harvey Oswald shoot, shooting J, JFK three times within what, what, 15 seconds? Man, that dude, that dude was a patsy, man. Well, if you ever, you ever watched that, what's that Denzel movie? Um, you know, you just had the Equalizer. You know, oh, the, yeah. last, the last one where his friend, you know, they had that, they had that dinner party. You know, the people were having dinner, and you know, the killers came in and killed everybody in the room. And they used the, uh, mm-hmm. they they, right. they they pretty much used the 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 wife's hand to kill the husband. Yes, I yeah. mean mm-hmm. it. It makes me wonder right now if you know maybe there's somebody else in that room, and they basically had her shoot shoot in there, and they maybe guided her, and then they turned and shot her. They shot her with you know they had her shoot the, you know take the gun and shoot herself, and then they laid her down. At that point, mm-hmm. because if you think about it, it's just too, it's too clean. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's definitely it's, too clean. It's way too clean, you know, because, you know, if just somebody ain't never shot a gun, also in that shell casing flashback, she got to freak out. But you, you know, think about it. If you shoot a target one time, you stop to see what you did, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean, yeah. in that situation, you know, you don't just, unless you're a trained killer, you just don't pump into somebody without conscience at this point. You know, unless, unless she had a, 
out of body experience or something like that, which I don't think so. Because you know, I was watching videos about people how much she loved him, how much they think she, he loved her. It didn't seem like a crime of passion. I mean, I think I think she would have been okay with him cheating as long as he married her in this situation. Yeah, yeah. That, that that love is pretty deep. You know, yeah. I don't think I don't think it was two ways. It wasn't it was a two way street. It was a one way street. Yeah, and, and, and real quick, too, uh, Novak, she put an ad on Craigslist from what I saw, and she was looking to sell her stuff. So, I, I mean, I don't see how this was premeditated since they tried to say she bought this gun with the intention of killing him. So she bought the gun the day before. Mm-hmm. Then, she, then she kills him. But then why would she go through the trouble of creating that, that Craigslist ad to sell all her stuff? Because she was moving in with was him. It? And that's well, what see, I wanted. That's what – right, right. See, that the whole thing is – she was she wanted this she was fantasizing this well mcnair's gonna leave his wife and we're gonna be together and she's gonna move in and she's gonna be new mrs mcnair and stuff like that and he and he pretty much killed that because one of his buddies one of his security team i forgot his name i think it's wall I, I believe was saying that how she was calling him he was with his wife and kids and and she was getting he was getting tired of it you know what yeah, i'm saying I, and then I also did, he I did messing, see that, he's messing and plus, he was also messing around with other with other people, so he was just feeding her false false dreams and stuff like that. And and me personally, she just she just snapped. I think she really got burnt up and got hurt by that. So so yeah, let me so let's let's talk about that for a second. So you think that it was a split decision split uh, decision that she made to to do this uh, this this crime? Yeah, because she was telling she was telling um Norfleet. That you know, this dude was a—he uh, was a bad dude. He was, you know, we talked last time on the pod. We was talking about how first he was picking up in limousines and taking trips and and spending time with her and buying her things and this and that. Uh, to now, you know, there, there's another woman. He telling her these things and not really—he he ain't trying to—he uh, ain't really trying to uh, go on his word and stuff like, yeah, we we gonna be together. He was just feeding her stuff just to keep. Him. Keep her happy, you know what I'm saying? Keep her around, stick her around, tell her what she want to hear, just but you know, so she can shut up about it, you know. And then, you know, she putting the stuff on 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 Craigslist or whatever to try to sell the things to go on and just didn't and just didn't work out. Yeah, you know, man, I think I, that's I, when, you know, then I think that's when she because who 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 what girl talking about, yeah, I need I need a gun. Like well, so like what happened? So apparently what the what Gilliam said was she lived in a tough, bad part of town, and so she wanted it for protection. So she bought it for a hundred bucks. Okay. All right. So I mean, you know, that's not out of the realm of uh possibility that right. somebody yeah. wanted to have a you yeah, know self-defense. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. The one thing too though is when I think about this situation, so the the police were really quick in this investigation to rule this thing a murder-suicide. So the, when you look at the uh, the lead detective on this, was it uh, Postaloni? This guy, he kind of came out and basically just said right away that, hey, this is a clear-cut case of a, of a murder-suicide. So uh, do you guys, you know, remember more of a background on him, uh, of just that guy? He, uh, he basically was a part of the Nashville, you know, police department. I think it was for over like 20 something years. And he uh, recently had a, a series where he basically went back over the crime scene and the investigation of, of what was going on. Do you guys remember that and a little bit about Pat? 
Oh, yeah, Deadly Recall, the show he had pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I remember yeah. that. I mean, he's supposed to have a photographic memory and be able to close his eyes and see crime scenes years after that. Uh, I know you've been, I know you've been, I know you've been a homicide detective for over 25 years. And, you know, he retired with about seven years ago, a little four years after the Monero, the Monero situation. Yep. I think, I think, I think to be honest with you, I see a little bit of bias in that situation, why he looks at that crime. You know, one, you know, Monero, from what I gathered, basically, a lot of people that didn't like him, you know, that basically didn't like his success in that area. He was very successful. And, you know, you know, he was a sworn, you know, a sworn officer and, you know, back in his home, back in Mississippi. And I think a lot of, I think, I think a lot of, with, you know, with this guy, pretty much, this detective, he, he, he makes a lot of references about the fact that this is a married man who basically was living a different lifestyle. He had a lot of issues with Menaire's marital status, you know what I mean? Now, I think, I think it's wrong, you know, what he was doing, but at the same time, that's his life. But I think a lot of that plays into how investigators and stuff see the situation. They saw it as like this, you know, like I was watching another uh, videos, another research, this crime of passion, this Aphrodite goes off and kills, kills her lover type situation. And I think, you know, this guy, I think, I think he has some credibility, but I think he's wrong. You know, even though he's been doing this for 25 years, there's some type of motive behind this to make this look like a murder-suicide. Oh, you, you're definitely right about that, too. And one of the things that was kind of interesting about when I was listening to him speak was he claims that the the lights were off in the living room area of the house when they got to the scene and that the lights were on in the bathroom area. And then he claimed that the door was wide open uh, to the bathroom. And he says that the light from the bathroom is what illuminated the entire room. However, if that's the case, then how come when uh, Neely the the guy that worked at the sporting goods place when he went in there how come he wasn't able to identify that that was steve and, and sahil if that were the case i think nearly was spooked yeah plus how much of Menaire's head was gone at that point you gotta think about it. you recognize his body but if he got shot in the temples you know what i mean in that situation mm-hmm. most people they identify him in there a lot by the fact that this is a big black guy on the couch and you know, yeah. and, and some people looked at some people were able to distinguish his face because remember, if a guy if a person gets shot in the head or the face and they've been sitting there for X amount of time, you're gonna make you're gonna be able to identify that person. They're not gonna look like what you think that they're not gonna look like how you mm-hmm. remember them. That's a tough one. Yeah, because uh, you know, rigor mortis sit in about an hour start from from an hour. Now, for the total body, it'll, it'll, it'll take about 12 hours for the total bodies to have rigor mortis to set in. And then you get all the, 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 the fluids and stuff drained down to the, to the bottom part of, the, uh, of your body, and then you start getting d- disfigured. And so I, 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 uh, unfortunately, uh, my job, we go into a lot of calls where um, people passed away and it'd it be some time on it, and then they start to get deformed. And sometimes you need dental records to ID these people and stuff like that. So, uh, man, that's the only thing I can believe or when, uh, I can think of when he came in. He said he didn't recognize him because he was, all, make, you know, Rick and Morris had sit in and he was disfigured because, like like Novak said, he got shot in both temples. And we don't know what them slugs did to, to his face after being shot like that. You know what? I, I didn't even think about it from that standpoint. So, no, you guys are definitely right about that. And one of the things, too, that that detective, 
he uh to to your point earlier uh novek that the detective was very uh adamant about wanting to remind everybody that all of the guys that were involved in that investigation were highly experienced and highly trained detectives um so the thing there is that he seemed to be very uh in a situation where he wasn't really secure in the fact of people's perception and people's view of the case. I mean, when you, you have a guy like Vincent Hill who's poked holes in that investigation, whether Vincent Hill was doing it for the right reasons or he was doing it for his own, you know, motivations to, you know, become famous. However, there is some validity to some of the things that Vincent Hill was trying to, to break up. Um, so I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like it was such a thorough investigation. I mean, they came to their decision, what was it, like four days later? That they ruled it a murder suicide? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. It was very quick. When you think about forensics and everything like that, takes it could take months for them to figure out what happened at the scene. They did this in four days, which yeah. is record time. But you know, also they um also uh, I don't know if you guys have read that they had looked at the cameras in the surrounding neighborhood and uh, said they didn't really see they ain't see anybody coming in or out through you know at that time frame. They they did not. And however, another thing that I I wondered, how come the police never released any of the photos from the crime scene? They didn't release them, but they did leak out there. So I remember, I I remember, like when I was looking around the internet, I was able to find that scene. You know, the the couch scene. They but you have, saw that. There's pictures out there. Unfortunately, people leak them. I mean, they were out there after the situation. This would be a website called Faces of Death that used to be on the internet, you know, early, you know, early to mid you know, 2010s, pretty much. And I remember people going to those websites finding like these crime scenes. You know, it it's not as graphic as Kurt Cobain or anything like that, but it's traumatizing because this is somebody you saw put a helmet on every week and go out there and lead the scene of victory. And she was kind of just laying there, you know, like kind of just, you know, by his feet almost. I mean, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, they didn't want to leak. They didn't want to let those pictures get out there because, one, if those pictures got out there, you know, intentionally, you know, by by law enforcement, it's gonna it's gonna question how quickly that investigation went down. It's also gonna question the people that made that decision because he's got they all got to stand by their word on this one. What they saw is what they saw, and what they think they what they think they uh, recreated is what happened. Nobody's gonna deviate from that in that situation because they all lose credibility very true very true um so one of the things too that i wanted to just quickly you know chat about so uh jules you brought up the fact that you think that this was a a a, a good case for a murder suicide uh, on the part of uh sohil uh when it came to mcnair um the one thing that i wanted to say is the Adrian Gilliam character, I was always a little uh, fishy when it came to him because his stories were never consistent. Uh, he basically originally, and I think we talked about this in, in part one, he told the police two different stories. The first story was he said that he met her by chance. Then later the police found out that actually they had been texting for weeks and he was trying to get with her, whatever, whatever, right? Um, then when they right. got him in the box... Then he admitted that, yeah, you know, they had this situation where they knew each other. Um, and he even admitted the fact that the gun that he sold to her, uh, that he sold it to her because he actually bought it for protection himself. And then he needed to, in a sense, uh, 
sell it because he was running low on money. Now, the thing that I didn't like about that situation when it came to to Gilliam was um, why was the police really quick to rule him out as a potential suspect? That was the part that I thought was pretty strange. Um, apparently, they were saying that uh, he had recently hung out with uh, Sohil uh, in the area where that condo was. So he actually knew where Steve lived because I guess they had went out for drinks, him and Sohil, not too far from there. And he even identified that to the police that, you know, he knew of that area, you know, around uh, the condo. So just to kind of, you know, run it back to you real quick, Jules, you know, what was your impression of Adrian Gilliam? And do you think the police could have done a more thorough job to look at him a little bit more? Well, definitely, because I think uh, uh, Gilliam, he also, he was, he was pinched on uh, another homicide, I believe, back in the days, wasn't he? Yeah, he had an attempted uh, attempted murder charge uh, when he was in Florida, and I think he served almost ten years. Yeah, he served. Yeah, um, this is a dude that definitely they could have talked more for, investigated a little more and a little deeply, and and uh, because he definitely has the background, he has the you know he has a gun and stuff like that. Um, why they didn't beat me, I'm not sure. Uh, I think, like you, they probably, they, you know, the police probably just feel like, hey, you know what, this is a high, this is a high-profile case we have here, and we definitely need to solve it, and this can be a a good way of solving this with, you know, with the murder suicide because, uh, like we talked about, what Pat Postaloni said, you know, he was saying that this was a a, a clear, uh, uh, clear cut of, of murder suicide, so. I have no man press. That is a great question. I have no idea why they didn't uh, investigate deeply with this dude. I think it's just because it was a high high profile case, and they really just want to solve this thing. And they was looking at, hey, you know what? Here's this girl here. They was messing around. You know, some you know things went bad. She committed suicide. Killed her. You know, he killed. She killed him. He, she killed herself. And it's, it's just easy that way. You know, and all the. Uh, and all the clues, and I, I believe they didn't have any other uh, clues or witnesses or anything like that, so they just uh, ran with this story. I agree, I agree with Jules on this. I think that since this story has had so many holes in it, and he changed the story a few times, it became a point that, is he even credible enough? Say, like, if this thing became more of a court case, even though it seemed like it's an open-shut thing, now if there was, if there was a a motive outside of murder-suicide right now, then this becomes illegal. It becomes a courthouse situation. I think that they didn't want to go with, they, they didn't want to tie him into this. I think they were ready to close this thing out. And I think the more that Gilliam talked, he would probably implicate himself at some point. You know, I think he would talk this way in the jail, you know, in a nutshell. Because, you know, as they start digging into their relationship, and they start looking at these test messages, you know, they looked at him as a, as a horny felon. That pretty much is trying to, you know, get Kazemi, but he couldn't get her, so he sold her a gun. But I honestly think that he sold her the gun with the intentions of her killing Minaire, or him basically, or somebody cleaning up that situation, if you know what I mean. Because 
you know, I, I'm quite sure he had some background besides her living in a rough neighborhood, or maybe she felt, or maybe she felt threatened by one of Minaire's other girlfriends. That's the kind of reason I kind of think, like, you know, I kind of want to believe there was somebody else in that room, or, or something happened, or she wanted to scare uh, one of those girlfriends or whatever the fact. You know what was interesting, Novak, uh, is the fact that uh, Gilliam, there was never any police surveillance or video surveillance of Kazemi and Gilliam meeting up to have that uh, gun sale. So the only person that brought up the fact that she bought the gun from him was, was, uh, was Gilliam. So if there was no surveillance of those two meeting up, and also at the time that he gave, uh, that he met up with her, her boss over at David Buster's mentioned that she wasn't on break and she was actually working on the, 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 the restaurant floor at that time. So that timeline that he gave the police didn't match up. So I've always wondered, did she actually buy this gun from him? That's the thing that I've wondered. Well, that's a good question. I guess, I guess also the question is, as you know, in most states, there's a history of ownership on this gun. And, you know, if this, you know, I want to know where to, you know, was this the Gilliam? How did he get the firearm? You know, if he sold her the gun, you know, how do we know that's, I do agree. How do you know that's really his gun or really is something he owned at this point? I mean, that could have been planted there as far as we know, or it could have been given, or it could have been a situation where she got into the apartment and it was out. Cause you know, that is not Steve's, that's not Steve's service revolver. No. You know, the, the one he keeps nearby every time he's there. And also you got to think in terms of, if she knew he already had a gun in the apartment, why didn't she use his gun? Mm-hmm. Why would you go buy a gun if there's already a gun there? That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And to think about it is, uh, in regards to that gun, uh, Novak, the police said that that gun at one point was at a Tennessee pawn shop. Um, and so basically, obviously, we know that Gilliam supposedly owned that gun, but they were very unclear on how he got into possession of having that gun. Because obviously with him being an ex-convict, uh, an ex-felon, mm-hmm. he didn't have the ability to purchase that on his own. I, I think it was uh, he bought off of, uh The gun came from a pawn shop, right? Yes. But I think he bought off the, 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 uh, the previous owner who bought it from that pawn shop, I believe. And I think I believe he bought it from uh from that person for a hundred bucks. I, I want to say if I read if I read correctly. Hey, everybody buying and selling shit for a hundred dollars. Hey must man, have been a Glock. <laughs> must have been a Glock. <laughs> no, it's a well, it's a Brico, Brico nine mil- millimeter. What the hell is that? I think that manufacturer they they went out of business, didn't they? I don't think they were ever here. You know, Brico. That's <laughs> I mean that's not, that's like a, that's like a, a canic. You know, you about those guys. You know, yeah. Well, that that really makes me think that shoot somebody with a very cheap gun accurately. It's hard to shoot a good gun that well. Now, if you shoot cheaper guns at you know at nine millimeter caliber or forty five and stuff like that. Like if you ever go to range and shoot somebody's gun, it's not becoming. And you'd be in mm-hmm. there just like, man, not just like a gun snob, but you'd be like, all right, man, wherever you bought this from, I want you to trade it back in. And, you know, and that's the gun that basically that, you know, that brand, you know, that brand is one of those, uh, it's like a knock, it's like a knockoff of a Ruger pretty much. And it's not very accurate. And also, you know, you got to think about the spot. You got to think about the pattern that comes out, you know, the spiral, if it's tight, if it's been in a pawn shop, yeah. that means they ain't cleaning it. That means it's been used probably to the point where it's been sitting somewhere 
And to go pull that thing without previously going out and testing it, it's got to be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, no, you're definitely right about man, that, man. Man, man we should have cut. <laughs> but you know what? I was reading in one of the police reports, and they said that they found no DNA evidence from Kazemi uh, on the gun, the inner magazine of the gun, or any of the shell casings uh, or the bullets. Also, Gilly was the last person to call Kazemi because he called her at like 12.02 that night, and they talked on the phone for a couple mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, also, it, oh, go ahead, Jules. No, but say, is it because, you know, it, it, the blood pretty much washed away any uh, – are you talking about with the blood too, or you talking about fingerprints? The, the fingerprints. You talking about the fingerprints? I, I, is it because I, I believe they said they didn't have any fingerprints or, or or residue? I think they said they had residue on the left hand, but because of the of the blood that was on it, on it the washed gun, off. It the trace evidence washed off. Yeah. Okay. Well, check this out. Did you guys know that Gilliam signed a proffer agreement? No. 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 So you guys know what that is, right? That's basically where he's working with the feds um, because they had him under criminal investigation for something else. Mm-hmm. And okay. so basically, yeah, so he basically... I'm sorry, a proffer. Yeah. Proffer. I mean, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Because yeah. I've done it plenty of t- Jesus. Okay, yeah. it's late. But, no, it's all good. But no, but you know what that situation was is that right. he went into that with the understanding of, hey, if I tell you guys what you need to hear here, then don't come after me for some other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they got yeah they definitely had him pissing dirty because <laughs> and he had to work and he had to work that off or he's gonna be doing some time. That's right. Mm-hmm. So he had to give him something good. Yep. And so that makes me wonder just with the the speed of how this uh, police department wrapped up this case and then they had this guy that was basically lying and had all these different alibis. None of that stuff ever checked out. So I don't know, man. It, it to me it just always seemed like it was more to the story than kind of what they what they said because as Novak mentioned I don't think that Kazemi was skilled enough to uh to kill or or at least at that precision level I mean damn, am I missing something on that one no you're not missing that do that at that precision level with a cheap gun now now you know like you know everybody said it's hard you know we watched the video earlier when a guy said he had a gun fight with you know with a, with a person that was like maybe right in front of him he still didn't get hit you know, in that situation. So I think I think it just comes down to the fact that to believe that this girl, who's a super girly girl, who probably was nails done, makeup, small shorts and everything else, basically, probably a buck 15, buck 20, basically shot a nine millimeter accurately two, two times to the temple. And then basically got, shot him in the body two times. And those bullets went through his body into the next, the next room. Yep. And then, and then she, after that point, shot herself in the head and said, let me go ahead and wrap it up. I just don't buy into that. You know, even, you know, even if it's a crime of passion, for her to shoot herself in the head doesn't make sense. I can see herself shooting herself in the chest or something like that, or right. shooting herself chin, chin through head, you know, basically, or putting it in her mouth. But shooting yourself in the head, come on now. I mean, either she was, either she was a trained sociopath that we didn't know about, or somebody else in the room basically was another shooter. And that's what I'm wondering, man, because there, there's so many there's so many unanswered questions and inconsistencies with this case. Also, I mean, think about uh, Kazemi's behavior. She was planning to hang out with friends and stuff on the 4th of July, right? Mm-hmm. So my right. thing is, man, like, did she really, like, 
was that an alibi or was she really just looking to hang out with her friends and was she maybe murdered? Was there somebody else there that was present, you know, with the situation? Because I think all along, like you said, uh, Novak, and I think you even brought it up too a little bit, uh, Jules, I think she was planning to have a life with uh, with McNair. I think at the end of the day, that's what she thought. Yeah, most definitely. See, here, here's here's what we got. Kazemi was in, in love, no doubt about it. She was in love, and she wanted to spend the rest of her life with uh, McNair. Um, the problem is, McNair didn't want to do that. McNair was still he he was he 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 was playing her. He was playing her, telling everything what she wanted to hear, and you know what I'm saying. So, not only they went, not only they went out, they hung out. He buy her things, he you know, spending time with her, telling everything she wanted to hear and stuff. You know, she really invested in this dude. Remember, now she had a rough childhood coming up in Iran where her mother died and stuff like that, and 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 I know that messed with her. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I think her her cousin or her nephew had said something about that she had, you know, her behavior is a little off. Um, I think McNair chose this. She McNair came into this girl's life, and he didn't know what type of girl, what kind of baggage she had, as far as mentally. So he, you know, did the love and dub thing and took her out and impressed her, and then they got the draws and you know did this and promised her life, and he really didn't mean it. Well, here's this other girl. Now she said, "Other girl, that that killed her." You're like, damn, okay. She trying to sell her furniture. She trying to sell her cars. Her her partner left for us. Who she was, you know, uh, uh, stayed in an apartment with. Her roommate left. She getting bills piled up and stuff like that. Her friends were saying that how she was a joy to be around. Next thing, saying she should end it, telling her boss that she should end it. Now she's buying guns and stuff like that. You know, Tupac said had a line said, "I'm not a killer, but don't push me." I believe she was pushed. And she just and she just broke and she just snapped. We see we see it all the time in the uh uh the, you know they have shows called Snap and how just you know things could be going peaches you can go from sugar to uh, to crap in, in a second. Everything is good. The next thing you know something happened. The girl or the guy snap and then they kill us. Um, with that also with not finding any other evidence and then they saying the uh, surveillance cameras didn't catch anybody else around. I, I I just feel like you know this was a uh, murder suicide, but I'm not gonna lie. Prez and Novak, you guys bring up a very good point. And also myself with uh old boy Gilliam because definitely he, he definitely need to be oh, he need to be looked at furthermore than what they did. Yeah, man, he's he's a fucking scumbag that guy. Cause he might have put the bug in their ear. You know what I'm saying? Probably. So, you never know. Also, too, another thing that I thought about was. The financial uh, things, the financial problems that they basically, the media wrapped up and said that, oh, my gosh, she was in all this debt. I thought that was a little mm-hmm. overblown because McNair had agreed to basically wire transfer her like thousands of dollars. So the way I look at that is, I mean, she had a, a guy that was a former NFL player who basically had more than enough cheese. So, I mean, was she really in all these financial problems that, that people said that she was in? I mean, because that was just a quick wire transfer away that all her problems would have been solved. So, and I think he even agreed to wire her a bunch of money before that day, the day before or something like that, didn't he? So, I don't know. He did. He, yeah. also, he also wanted to pay for the, the Cadillac, but she didn't want him to. Yeah, she didn't want him to, right. She wanted to prove her independence or whatever the case may be. Because, you know, there's another angle on this. Everybody paints a picture of being a gold digger. 
And I was I, I was doing a little research on that. They were like, you get a 20-year-old, you know, because when she first saw him in David Buster, she's like, oh, my God, he's a superstar. And that's what she told her friend in the bathroom. And the friend in the bathroom was like, you know, Steve is just Steve to us, pretty much. You know, that's what they were saying in the videos. So they didn't see, you know, her friends didn't see Steve in there as money or finance, but she did, you know, at a certain point. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, like one angle could be possibly that he's about to cut her off and end her lifestyle because he had that new chick. <laughs> had that new chick. Right. And then, you know, the rumor was basically is that, you know, his wife, you act like she was totally surprised. She didn't even know who Kazemi was, apparently. So I didn't know this affair was going on because remember, there was a text. He said, he told her, Wait till the kids go to sleep. The kids are still up. Then I come see you. But he was never there. He was out in the bar. Yeah, because because he got he was drunk as hell when they said when he, he got to the. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I could have put it in a rage too, because maybe somebody at that bar called and told her, "Hey, your guy out here at the bar. I thought he's at home putting his kids to bed." Yeah, that's a good point. Especially it's a small small little area, and everybody know who he is. You know, you never know. I got the hell away from Tennessee at that point, you know. <laughs> but he he a country boy, you know. Nah, man, it ain't worth all that. No, because, you know, he ain't here no more. I'll tell you one thing, fellas. When, when I think about this situation, man, I just think that uh, justice wasn't served uh, for either Steve or Sahil or even their families. Uh, I don't believe that this is an open-to-shut murder-suicide case. I just think I was, I was never comfortable with the uh, speed that the case was closed. And I don't know, man. I actually believe the actual murderer is still uh, walking around free out there. Um, mm. And we looking at you, uh, Adrian Gilliam. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Just saying. I'm just saying. But, uh, man, fellas, this is a, this is a fun little series, man. Uh, I definitely enjoyed, you know, doing both of these, uh, these episodes. Uh, I think it was fun to, to try something different. And, and I hope that, uh, you know, our audience enjoyed this. Uh, Novak, you want to hit them with the – Curtain call, our final segment. Sure. This curtain call goes out to Minera and Kazemi families. Both families lost people that were near and dear to them on 7-4-2009. The Nashville community still mourns the loss of Steve Minera 11 years later. Both of these deaths are a tragic reminder that will affect these families forever. We just want to say RIP to Steve Minera and Sahil Kazemi. All right, Jules. Jules hit us with that final thought. thought. All right, y'all. You know, we talked in detail about the tragic death of Steve Air McNair and Sahil Jenny Kazemi. He was a Tennessee great with a beautiful wife and beautiful uh, children. And Kazemi was a beautiful young woman who, woman who has her whole life ahead of her. You know, both lives were cut out way too soon by a horrific and tragic ending. After all we talked about and about their deaths and stuff, we can still learn from the story and we can still have life. Like I said in previous pod, if you don't believe in God, you better have a damn good replacement. You know, in John 10, it states that the enemy comes to only to uh, steal, kill and destroy. Well, the enemy stole two souls. The enemy killed two beautiful people and the enemy destroyed not only uh, Steve and Kazemi, but also destroyed their families, as, their families and friends as well, because their lives would never be the same. And unfortunately, as a law enforcement officer, I have done and seen a lot of suicide investigations. I also had two 
good friends that committed suicide. I witnessed firsthand how it can affect the family and friends and how it affected me. I think back sometime and wonder, was there a sign that I overlooked or I didn't pay attention to? Like Kazemi friend stated that she was a joy to be around but changed and now she's not that joy anymore. She even told her manager, my life is just shit and I should end it. I wonder what was his response? Did he try anything to do to help her? Well, if you listen to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, we just want to tell you that if you feel in this way or you know somebody that's feeling this way, suicide is just a permanent solution to a temporary problem. No matter what the situation is, it has come, it has not come to stay, but it has come to pass. So what kind of purpose do you have in life? I mean, are you just here to live to die? Or is there a purpose? Is there not a purpose in life that sometime in life, things are just out of your control and you can't change it and you just have to live with that choice? Or you can, you can, either, you can either give up or you can keep going. Are you going to believe in yourself or are you going to believe in everybody's judgment of you? Sometimes you take steps in this direction or take steps in that direction and you just lose your way. And sometimes you fall down. Sometimes in life, you'll fall down and you don't have the strength to get up. And it should be impossible for you to get up. If you fall down a hundred times and you try not to get up, you, do you think you're ever gonna get up? No. But if you fall and you try to get up and you try and you try, there is a possibility that you will. And the next step you choose will be the future for tomorrow. First. Jules, thanks for that final thought. Novak, great job on that curtain call. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. For all our listeners, if you want to learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. Use the special Pulling Back the Curtain podcast discount code, which is Ballers Coffee, to receive a 25% off discount off your order. Um, as always, we appreciate the support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. We are the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast.